Welcome back to the show that tells you. You are a quantum computer with free will embedded in the universal fractal that unites us all. My name is Justin Riddle, and this is episode 18 of the Quantum Consciousness series. In today's episode, we'll be discussing fractal computation, a third form of computation that goes beyond digital and quantum computation, and it describes how all of reality is processed within a fractal matrix. By the end of today's episode, we'll be asking the question, is your spirit embedded within a hierarchy of beings that extends into higher dimensions? This episode is available on YouTube, and an audio-only version is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you like what you hear today, then please like this video, subscribe to this channel, leave a comment below, or for the audio listener, write a review. Join me inside the mystery of numbers. Come and hop a metaphysical loop. See how concepts become objects and then become quadium. Join us for an episode of Quantum Consciousness. Hi, my name is Justin Riddle. Before we dive into today's topic of fractal computation, I want to give you a little bit of my background. So I have a PhD in psychology from UC Berkeley. And while I was there, I taught a course for seven years on quantum consciousness. And this series is a adaptation and extension of that material um, into podcast form. In my day job, I am a cognitive neuroscientist and I deliver electric and magnetic brain stimulation in human participants to learn more about the role of neural oscillations in cognition and to develop new treatments for psychiatric illness. So I began this series by talking about the three-world model of consciousness. And in this three-world model, the idea is you have a physical body, a mental cognition, a consciousness, which is yours and you feel ownership over it, and then there is a third world, the platonic world, which is often described as the realm of mathematics, of meaning, of things that go beyond any individual. And we've been talking about how there are different forms of computation that fit nicely within this three-world model. So in the physical world, we have digital computation, where things are measured and reduced into a physical state. We have quantum computation, which describes these these consciousnesses that are processing information and they have sort of a holistic unity to them that are defined by superposition. And then finally, we have this notion of spirit or of the platonic world where there's some sort of universal meaning, but I was sort of vague on what that would look like. And so today we're going to pitch the idea that this is fractal computation or potentially fractal computation. And fractal computation is sort of a made up term. There are only a couple of researchers that I know of that are sort of rigorously studying this potential new form of computation. But essentially the idea is that it taps into this concept of a fractal and I'll describe that in just a minute here, but this really fills in the gap as that third form of computation. Maybe there's more forms of computation beyond these three, but from a sort of theoretical, conceptual, philosophical angle, it would be kind of nice that if we really were to accept the three-world model, 
not a mind-body dualism, but sort of a mind-body-spirit triality, if that truly is the best description of the universe from a metaphysics standpoint, then it would be nice to have three different sort of operationalizations or the engineering perspective of those three worlds, and they would each have a form of computation that fits you know, most succinctly within that world. And then in that case, there would not be a fourth type of computation, and maybe these are the three types of computation that, that will be discovered, and then the future will be figuring out how they interact with each other, understanding you know, what algorithms are being processed on each of these um, systems and how they all interact in this complex way. All right, so let's slow down a second and talk about what is a fractal. And a fractal at its simplest form is sort of a, a self-recursion or a self-reference. In my own computer science training, I really like this idea of recursion. When you think about an algorithm, and within that algorithm, the algorithm is defined with reference to itself. And this is sort of a mind-bending, bizarre reality, but this is how all of computation is sort of built. Algorithms will refer to themselves and you have to have sort of a starting point and a stopping point that's defined. And then in the meantime, in the middle, you're just sort of looping through and, and repeating the, the computation over and over. So I'll give a really simple example of a um, recursion in computer science, and this is addition. So we're all familiar with addition. You take the first digit of the two numbers you want to add, you sum them together, uh, in, in normal numbers, uh, you do base 10, and so if it goes above 10, then you have to carry the one, and then you take that new one, and then you add it to the next two digits, and so on and so forth. So you're sort of saving your output and moving iteratively through each of these digits. And so this is a simple recursive algorithm where within the addition algorithm, you're then calling the addition algorithm again and you keep checking whether or not you got to the last digit within the two numbers that are being added. And if you haven't, then you just keep looping. And this can be done at the binary level. So if we reduce each number to a binary representation, then we can make a really simple logic gate that has you know, a zero or a one coming in for your two digits. You have a carry term, what you wanna carry out. And then you have sort of an output term of, of what you're gonna accumulate as your final um, sum between these two numbers. So fairly straightforward, fairly simple, but what this leads to is this sort of recursive nature that kind of bends the mind. And the question is, do we see recursive algorithms in biology and in nature? And I would argue to you that we do see evidence on some level of this recursive nature. And so what does this look like in biology, it looks like self-similarity. And self-similarity is a term meaning that you're seeing the same pattern repeated multiple times within a system, also known as a sort of scale-free property. So I think the best example in nature is the fern. And if you look at the fern, you'll see that the entire fern has sort of this paisley shape. Then you dive into a branch of the fern, 
It has the same paisley shape. You dive into a single leaf of that branch and you see the paisley shape. You can even dive into the cellular structure or like the little twiggy vein things within each, each leaf of the fern and you'll see that same pattern repeated over and over and over. And so the question is, you know, what is giving rise to this? It seems like the, the sort of building blocks or the description of how to make a fern would need to have some sort of self-similarity or some sort of recursion. You know, if we were to imagine there was an algorithm creating this fern, it would be sort of self-referential. Take this pattern, put it here, and then within that pattern, put the same pattern over and over, and then from all of those patterns, then put the same pattern again. So you have sort of this uh, recursive fractal-like element to the fern. In the last episode, when I introduced the nested observer window model, I talked about how if we look at biology, we see evidence of this fractal-like scale-free pattern in the electrical recordings of proteins, neurons, the brain, um, you record the ocean, the sound of the ocean. You look at the patterns of um, of like coastlines, and you'll see that there's sort of this um, scaling of the noise or of the data that you're receiving, where the lower frequencies have more power and it sort of scales down. And so that implies that if you had some big, powerful pattern and you were to repeat it, you would then see this scale-free property where as you go to higher and higher frequencies or as you zoom into smaller and smaller scales, you see a nice distribution reflecting that there's one big algorithm sort of guiding the expression of all this data going into lower and lower scales. So I know this is a little bit abstract, but the question here is, is what is the mathematics? What is the algorithm running or processing all of this? And I think fundamentally it is sort of mysterious and we don't really have the answer, but there are some researchers investigating is there a type of fractal computation that enables or gives rise to all of these scale-free, self-similar patterns that we see in nature? And I think one of the pioneers of this is Anurban Bandiopadhyay, and he uh, has been studying fractal computation. He calls it frequency fractal computation, but essentially, he made observations very similar to what I described in the last episode where he is going in and he's measuring the electrical activity of microtubules. And when he measures the electrical activity of microtubules, he finds that there are these you know, rhythms that are emerging in the Fourier transformer. If you break down the recording into the frequency domain, you find that there's a lot of high frequency activity that corresponds with the individual proteins within a microtubule. And these are happening at the gigahertz range or a billion times per second. And then the signals that are recorded from the entire tube, these are happening at the megahertz range. And then you see that there's these networks of microtubules within individual cells. And these have resonance patterns in the kilohertz range or a thousand times per second. So here we have billion times per second at the protein scale, million times per second at the microtubule scale, 
and then a thousand times per second at the network of microtubule scale. And he claims that he sees there's these um, sort of resonance triplets that he'll find at each of these different levels. And that if you do some electrical stimulation on any of these, you'll see sort of a ripple effect into the neighbors. So if you deliver some sort of electrical stimulation at the microtubule level, you'll see some repercussions of that at the network scale and at the um, individual protein level as well. And so information is being processed up and down this, this hierarchy and that there seems to be the same pattern. In his case, he observes these sort of resonance triplets. And so these resonance triplets um, are, are computing information or sending information up and down this hierarchy to each other. And so he then sought out, after making this observation, to then construct an artificial system that would have these same resonance properties. And so what he did is he created what he calls a brain jelly. And in his brain jelly, he used materials nested within each other. And he decided on what materials to use based on their resonance properties so that they matched up with these higher frequencies. I think he used harmonic resonance between these different levels. So he would pick a material that had a harmonic resonance or sort of a numeric frequency relationship between two different scales. And that way, when there's activity in one scale, it resonates and gets passed down to the lower levels. And then he built a triple layered brain jelly uh, that had these, these fractal resonance properties. And so then over time, and this is what he claims, when left to its own devices, this brain jelly with these fractal resonance properties started self-assembling and started gaining in complexity over time by virtue potentially of this resonance that went across all these different scales. And so I think this is a cool experiment and a very interesting observation from you know this really micro scale. Um, but the question is, you know, what is this computation? So we know that digital computation uh, is a special form of quantum computation. See my previous episodes for more of a description of that. So is fractal computation some form of even more fundamental computation than even quantum computation, where quantum computation is like a special reduced form of fractal computation? Right. This is sort of what we would need to see for this to be the case where a quantum computation is let's zoom into just one single level versus fractal computation is all the levels interacting simultaneously. And so I think what's really cool about this is that let's say that we are a quantum computer. Your mind, your conscious experience is wrapped within this single quantum computer it has a clearly defined spatial temporal boundary, and that sets sort of the boundary of your mind. This is one of the appeals of the quantum computer model of the mind. But then now that your mind exists as a quantum computer, what are you computing and why? Why are you computing anything? And what is the nature of the information that you're computing? Right. And so when we think about digital computers, there's a programmer, there's someone writing the code and the digital computer is carrying out the code 
as it has been programmed. But who is the programmer of our minds? Maybe we have free will, we can process our own information, but then what is the information that we're computing? Why are we computing this information? And so fractal computation might step in and add this greater context, right? So fractal computation provides you with a bunch of lower level information, a bunch of higher level information, and you're within this nested fractal hierarchy, and this provides you a bunch of information to then compute. So is the fractal computation programming you? Maybe in some sense, that's like a way to think about it, but I also just like to think about it as, this is the information content. This is the nature of reality. If you're embedded within this fractal matrix of all this information at all these different scales, then there's plenty for you to do quantum searching within all this data. Um, and so this sort of sets a backdrop for a quantum computation. So let's say we are able to create a quantum computer in the lab. We create it, huzzah. Now we have to program it to do something. But once again, here we are programming it. So if we look in biology, there is no programmer. There is nothing in evolution in our past that's sitting down and writing the code of, of what biology is, right? So we need some self-generative, spontaneous ability to create complex, meaningful information processing. Where does that come from? The fractal, the fractal computation creates that backdrop of what you are then computing. And so this creates sort of the energy landscape for the quantum computer of your mind to navigate and it gives you something to do. And I think it kind of fleshes out that metaphysical model of what is reality. You're a quantum computer mind. You have all these digital computer tools in your brain for how you actively think and process. And then you're tapped into this fractal matrix, this bigger, meaningful, spiritual context for your life. And so what does that feel like? So let's uh, just accept that we have three forms of computation, fractal computational spirit, a quantum computational mind or mental world, and a digital computational body. What do each of these forms of computation feel like from our perspective? So here we go. I would argue that digital computation feels like a lot of cognitive work. Digital computation is you processing this information in the now model, it's you're a, a brain module or you're a brain network and you're talking with all your peers, you're gathering information, you're processing it, and you have to hold that information in mind, compute it, move it. So in digital computation, there's an algorithm that you're running. You have to effortfully hold some physical representation of that information, process it, move it, transform it, right? So digital computation feels like work. It feels like cognitive work. You're holding, moving, thinking. It's a very active, effortful, volitional process, right? That is what digital computation would feel like. Quantum computation, however, is happening in this rhythmic refresh rate, right? You are 
the refresh rate, your experience of time, the passage, the flow of time is occurring in your mind and there's this collapse rate of the wave function. The quantum computer evolves, takes in all this information, all this digital information, and then collapses into another state, another moment in time. And so I think quantum computation feels like the flow of time, but it also feels like these gut instincts, these intuitions, right? It's probabilistic in nature. It's not definite. It's not really physically grounded in the same way. We have all these multiple choices of what to do and we simulate different possibilities. It's that simulation of possible futures and you get this instinct, this gut feeling, a little bit of backward time referral in the quantum time travel episode I discussed that. It has an impression, it has a feeling, an instinct for what to do, right? So the digital world, effortful cognitive work. The mental world, the quantum computational world, it's these gut feelings, these instincts, this drive to do one thing or another. And then finally, fractal computation aligns with that cross-frequency coupling parameter within the now model. And fractal computation would feel like an epiphany. It would feel like a eureka moment. It would feel like a random idea that pops into your head. It would also feel like you're tapping into something bigger than yourself, right? So fractal computation has this sort of spontaneity to it. It kind of comes out of nowhere. If it's bubbling up from the lower levels of the hierarchy, ideas pop into your mind fully formed. Whoa, I just have an image of something, right? So fractal computation feels like fully formed images getting thrown into your mind. When you're tapping into higher and slower levels, that might feel like some spiritual connection, some deeper meaning, some sense of being a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, so that would be sort of a spontaneous feeling. And I think it's really cool to think about fractal computation as having some explanation for our sense of spirituality, for our sense of meaning, for how we... I don't know, feel connected to things, you know? And it has sort of this inexplicable nature to it. It's sort of ineffable. It takes a fully formed concept and you just get thrown into that concept out of nowhere, out of the blue, you know? So that is sort of the feeling of these different computations. Now to connect it back to the quantum principles. So it's more or less fleshed out already. The digital realm is is measurable. You have to do this collapse of the wave function, measure it into the particle state. So the physical world, digital computation, particle-like. The mental world is the wave function, the superposition. It's the entertainment of multiple possibilities simultaneously with a clearly defined boundary around what is the quantum computer, what is your mind. It has a holistic nature to it. So there's a unity of self that arises from the quantum computational description. And then the important new part is the fractal computer. Entanglement is the best guess here. So I've talked about how entanglement is sort of spaceless and timeless. So in the fractal level, the idea is that you would have entanglement between quantum computers of fundamentally different spatial temporal scales, right? So a quantum computer at this high level connected to a smaller level, perhaps within it, inside of it. Um, and I think this kind of breaks the bank 
I don't think there's really a, a true description out there of what this would look like. Um, but some of the properties that, that are really interesting are what I talked about in a previous episode with the pilot wave, David Bohm's pilot wave, this notion that the entire universe is this giant single wave function. And Henry Stapp also talks about this. When a quantum computer makes a decision, it, it you know is dependent on the physical world around it, but it also taps into this macroscopic giant universal entanglement domain wave function that encompasses the entire universe and that entire universal level then feeds back into the individual so this is very fractal like where the computation the processing of this exact moment is dependent on this entanglement web that encompasses the entire universe potentially and so at every given moment in your experience, you're tapping into entanglement relationships up to the highest, most macroscopic, slowest, biggest level, and then down to the most microscopic level. So at all moments, all of this information is being integrated in some way, shape, or form. What that is, not really sure, right? Um, we propose in the nested observer window model that maybe there's some sort of mosaic integration where it's a picture made out of pictures, made out of pictures, made out of pictures. So every pixel is itself an image and every pixel of that image is, is another image and it's sort of recursive in that way. And so we are a pixel of the next level of the universe, which is a pixel of the next level of the universe. And there's this grand picture that we're all plugged into. And that giant picture at the universal level is meaningful, taps into universal meaning, is formed of this giant entanglement web of all beings together. And this sort of gives us a big sense of spirituality. I think, I think there's a lot of mystical interpretations that can be tapped into this, but it could still be grounded in science, right? There is no fundamental reason why this is ascientific or non-scientific. It could just be a new form of scientific inquiry. New models are needed to describe this type of fractal computation, uh, but it's not necessarily outside of the realm of, of science. So I wanna end this by talking about Rick Strassman. And Rick Strassman had a really famous book called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, where he talks about a psychedelic drug called DMT and how it uh, sort of blows our minds and it's related to, you know, it's naturally generated in our bodies, but it, it sort of like defies a lot of understanding. Really popular book. However, he published a follow-up book called DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. And this book was, I think, uh, a lot less popular, but I think it was really trippy and has uh, a little bit to say on this current topic of fractal computation. So he conducted an experiment where he gave intravenous uh, dimethyltryptamine, DMT, to a bunch of human participants. And he came from the background of a Buddhist meditator, a Zen Buddhist, thinking that the core of reality is sort of this emptiness, this oneness. And he was expecting that when people trip out on this psychedelic drug, that they would have a strong sense of emptiness or oneness, sort of a, an ego death, right? A dis dissolving of the self, dissolving of the ego. But what he found was that the majority of participants, while they were tripping on DMT, 
talked about interacting with extra-dimensional, higher-dimensional entities. And they would have conversations with these different entities. And they would have all sorts of epiphanies about their relationships with other people. And it was very rare, um, at least with the, the primary, uh, the initial experiment with, with DMT. There is 5-MeO-DMT, which might have a bit more of that, of that emptiness experience. But I digress. The majority of participants had this experience of talking to these entities. And so while I know this is really bizarre and what are we supposed to do with this information, but if we're gonna be radically empirical and actually take all the data that we're getting and really truly digest and think about the data that exists in the world, we need to grapple with this notion of these entities that people are witnessing when they're on DMT. Is it just a hallucination? Totally possible, but let's say that they're tapping into something that's real, right? This would suggest, sort of in line with this fractal computational interpretation, that there is a hierarchy of beings, a nested hierarchy of a bunch of entities, and we're at this fixed level, and when people are tripping, are they tapping into these higher and higher levels and what would that feel like? Maybe it would feel like what these people are experiencing, talking to these higher higher dimensional entities or beings or whatever, right? Now I'm making any strong claims on this, but uh, it's interesting to think about. And what he connects it to, which is sort of, I think, the jump that most people aren't ready for, is he talks about it with respect to the Abrahamic religions, how... Um, in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, there's this notion of a hierarchy of angels getting closer and closer to God. And, you know, I think in our modern scientific paradigm, we tend to dismiss a lot of religion as sort of beyond science. But here we have an example where Rick Strassman goes through biblical text and actually relates different passages to the experience of people tripping on DMT and their communication with these entities and relating it to the communication with angels or demons within the sort of biblical uh, framework. So I think very fascinating, interesting stuff. Um, so I just want to end by giving you this, this thing to think about. Are we also fractal computers? In the mind-body-spirit complex that is yourself, is your spirit this matrix of, of entities, this fractal matrix of all these beings, and you're along for the ride within this wacky universe that we're embedded in, and we're communicating up and down all these hierarchies, plugged in, processing information, and living our lives to the best of our ability within this uh, sort of wild and bizarre context. So I'll leave you with that, and uh, I'll sign off for the day. <laughs>